Check, check, one, two, check. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to be, uh, do, do the mic. Talk. Yeah, there's one here too. Yeah. Okay, so I'll pass it to you. Yeah, you got a mic? Yeah, I'm wired. I got, Ryan gave us light beads to fix this. People me feel more comfortable with the mic. These are up here too. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to Digging Deeper. Uh, welcome you at home, whom we can't see, but you're with us here in spirit. Uh, we're going to get started as soon as I open it up. All right, here we go. All right. Today we talked about Jesus' boyhood, and we saw a lot of, uh, we see the only snapshot of Jesus' boyhood other than uh, the popular Christmas story elements and uh, him as a little over a month old, like we talked yesterday, and now he's 12 years old. He's, it's right before uh, he turns 13 and then the Jewish eyes becomes a man. Uh, and then we don't see him again until um, he, until right before he begins his ministry. Um, and just like we said, uh, if, you, if you missed it in the service, uh, you who are at home, if you would like to uh, leave your questions or your comments on our YouTube page, leave them as comments. We'll, uh, we'll look at those after the service, and if there's any there, we'll do our best to answer them. And we'll, 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 if anybody here has a question or a comment they'd like to make, we'll pause and uh, give you a microphone um, so that the people at home could hear you. They would like to hear you. All right, so Jesus' boyhood. This is the only picture of Jesus' boyhood um, telling us all we need to know about Jesus' formative years. Uh, that he was special among children, he was special among men, and even the elite teachers in Jerusalem at the time. Uh, and we see he's more manly here than a lot of modern-day guys, uh, in that he goes to church. Um, today's guys seem to have problems just finding their pants. Um, so he goes to church. He knows his identity. Uh, he has a strong sense of responsibility. His values are figured out. His priorities are set in place, and he listens to his parents. That's the Jesus we see. If we could all be men that emulate the boy Jesus, we'd be fine. All right, so verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their hometown of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, 
and the favor of God was upon him. All right, these verses tell us all we need to know about Jesus' elementary years. We see Jesus' uh, humanness here. He's from heaven, divinely speaking, uh, but he's actually from somewhere, humanly speaking, too. Uh, the region of Galilee. That's northern Israel. That's a, that's, a, that's a large portion of northern Israel. There's upper Galilee and lower Galilee. He was from lower Galilee. Um, in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth. This was a rural area, so Jesus grew up rustic. Um, uh, it, it's Israel. I put in my notes. It's Israel's West Virginia, kind of. Our country bumpkins come from the south. There's the north. Um, uh, in Luke 23, uh, verse 59, Peter is identified by the servant girl in the temple courts uh, as being a Galilean by his accent. So, in all likelihood, Jesus probably had an accent too. He would, he, he, they could tell where Peter and uh, Jesus were from the same place, so they, they could hear that, and if we heard somebody in America with a different accent, we'd know, hey, you're not from around here, are you? Um, all right, the child grew and became strong, and as a note here, uh, John the Baptist and Jesus have similar verses. John's is in Luke 180. John's verse says this, And the child, John the Baptist, grew strong and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So that's worth a little juxtaposing so we can see God's providence in these two people. These are, these are the two most important figures on planet Earth right now. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Uh, Luke makes it clear to us that God kept John the Baptist and Jesus under wraps until the right time. Uh, and Ravi Zacharias said once, uh, God raised Joseph in the wilderness to use him in a palace, and God raised Moses in a palace to use him in the wilderness. So God has kind of a pattern with this. Um, John was out in the wilderness, and so, so what's, if we can kind of look and see God's plan from what we can deduce from Scripture, not that we claim to know the mind of God exactly, but this is just some, hopefully some spirit-guided deduction that we can do um, behind God's reasoning. He tells um, John the Baptist's parents to, that this is how it's supposed to be. This is how John uh, needs to be raised. Uh, John was out in the wilderness, so he didn't get a chance for fear of man to develop. That would be awesome. Uh, he was away from the culture's teleprompter, informing him of what, of what reality was. So he was just out in the wilderness. He didn't get a chance for those things to develop. And so God kept him away from the world as to keep the world out of him. Whereas Jesus grew up small town with social interaction. Not that John didn't have social interaction. Um, and with family. Why? We're going to look at uh, Hebrews 4.15. So as to be able to sympathize with our weaknesses in every respect and be, as Hebrews 4.15 says, tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was exposed to all that any normal kid would have been exposed to, yet without sin. He's unique. He grew up with everyone else, but was not like everyone else. He had as the text said, uh, and the favor of God was upon him. We'll look at that a little bit more in a sec. Um, uh, a little further here, we'll finish up this verse, and then we'll pause for questions if you have any. Uh, this was the first time God... Okay, yeah. 
And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Okay, the child grew. This was the first time that God has ever grown. Uh, this was the first time that he had ever become anything. He had ever needed to become anything. Remember, God's perfect. He doesn't need to change. We can talk a while about that. Um, filled with wisdom. This means this was the first time God ever learned anything. Uh, because again, Hebrews 4.15, so we can't look to God, raise our fists, and yell, you don't know what it's like. He does know what it's like. He lived as one of us, tempted and tried and we are, as we are, yet without sin. And the favor of God was upon him. Jesus was raised by who? Mary and Joseph. Yes. It says the favor of God was upon him. Jesus was raised by his father, uppercase F. He is God-developed. He's God-planned and prepared. God's been talking about this man since Genesis 3, that he would come. God plans, and his plans, uh, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. God's been keeping track of this plan since eternity, if you look at some other scriptures. But let's go where the text leads. No, most of us were raised by our parents, right? Yeah. Or our grandparents. I don't know what our, everybody's family life is like. Uh, but when we meet Jesus and our new adoptive father takes over, the favor of God that was upon Jesus is then upon us too. We're his children, just the same as Jesus is. That's, that's good news to breathe into all who did accept him. Uh, uh, John 1 says he gave them the right to become the children of God. All right? All right, now, before we go into the temple complex, there's always three questions that uh, I want to remind us as often as I, <laughs> as I remember to. Uh, what does the text say about God? If this shakes any questions loose for us, what is the text, what it promises are in the text, and what commands on there? So it's all about knowing him, believing in him, obeying him. All right, I think that's really my only conversational outline for when this begins. So do you have any questions as we go forward? And I'll check online as well. Anybody good? Keep going. All right. It's weird to see yourself online as you're up here. Um, all right, Jesus... The boy Jesus in the temple. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. All right, this, was a pil this pilgrimage was customary for Jewish males to take their families. Um, so what we know here uh, gives us a little insight into Joseph's heart that he was being faithful as a home leader. A husband is to, is to uh, the Bible says, to wash his wife in the word, to, to raise his kid up in godliness, his children up in godliness. Um, um, that. And we see Joseph being faithful to go up to the, according to, as we're going to see, according to the custom. Um, and they go as a family until Jesus goes as the Lamb of God. And sometime in between there, we don't know what happens to Joseph. We don't know if uh, it's believed that he probably passes. Uh, we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters after 
uh, after Jesus. I think he had six or seven. I don't remember. Um, the te- there's a text that tells us his brothers and sisters, but we know that, that they had more children. Jesus grew up family. And Jesus was so special that two of his brothers write a book of the Bible. It's, if, if your brother believed that you're God, you must actually be. <laughs> All right. And when he was 12 years old, and then you could stop me at any time if you have any questions. Uh, verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. All right, so at 13 year olds, at, at 13 years old, uh, Jewish boys would have had their bar mitzvah, and this is the this is the, this is their uh, becoming a man. They would be, in their culture the the 13 year olds having had this bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, they 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 receive their they go from boy to man. That's the ceremony. That's the age. That's the switch. Um, this okay, was his last Passover before adulthood, so he goes from. And there's a little bit in that, but we're going we're gonna to talk about the word custom for a moment. And there's a gospel note. Yeah, Robin. Oh, one second. We got a mic, the people at home. Yeah. Is it mic here, too, in the front? Just a comment yeah. on the 12-year-old being in the temple. There is a specific time before they become 13. My niece is Jewish. So mm-hmm. there was a time where they had to go and learn the ways of the world, say, to speak. Mm-hmm. So, you know, therefore, you know, that time where Jesus was in the temple at 12, the comment also, well, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, there was a time that he needed to prepare for being 13. Yeah. Just, you know, that could be in it as well. Yeah, there, yeah the, um, there's some extensive preparing that goes in before you turn 13 in preparation of your becoming a man right. of your bar it, mitzvah. It's yeah. very quite extensive. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, the, but, yeah, that could be a situation where, you know, he needed to have that preparation and it was not kind of maybe remembered mm-hmm. by Mary and Joseph that he needed that time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Just well, maybe w- once we get to that part, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. I know in that day uh a lot of the Jewish males went from a very young age. They were uh Leonard and I were talking yesterday and they were um what's the word you used? You said uh scouted. Uh so they would like all the Jewish males would go to school, the special ones would be plucked out, and they would become scribes, Pharisees, and higher ups, and uh, the ones who had a, uh, who the brighter ones. And then you have the ones that became other things, kind of in more rural jobs, more Peter the fisherman, or like a skill, like a skilled laborer. Yeah, thing. yeah, you had, yeah, you had your, you had your academy guys, and you had your trade school guys, um, and. This is just a note, the, a lot of the disciples that Jesus chose would have been these dropouts. That's pretty cool. Gives us hope, doesn't it? Yeah, it does give us hope, yeah. Great deal of hope, yes. 
Yes, uh, microphone right behind you, Liz. Jesus himself, Jesus himself was a carpenter. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Liz's comment was Jesus himself was a carpenter. He had one of these uh, uh, lunch boxes in one hand and blue collar. Yeah, he. Uh, that's how he grew up, as special and unique how, as he was. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. The, the text is leading there. All right, so here's a gospel note. And they went up, uh, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Custom. Here's a gospel note. Jesus would later, Jesus would later, ended all, Jesus would have later, and he does later, end all need for physical pilgrimage by his pilgrimage to the earth and then to the cross. Um, now, now, the good news is that God's provided a savior. The gospel, uh, which is God's plan or God's work, operates by faith. First uh, Timothy 1.4. So, uh, so our feet can stay in place and our faith makes the pilgrimage from wherever it's at in the dark wherever it's placed in the dark to the light of Christ. So our faith is now what makes God's plan operate. God's plan operates by faith, as 1 Timothy 1.4 says. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord, as Hebrews says. Uh, all right, so from wherever it's not, it comes to Christ. Because we all have faith, regardless of if it's in Christ or not. There's six explosions, you know, anywhere from four to six to eight explosions that happened when you start your car and you trust that it's not going to blow up in the process when the engine begins. And, and I've heard, you know, when a light switch and when you sit in a chair, you know, when you go to a restaurant and order food, you have no idea where it's, where it's been, the hands that cooked it. You're operating by faith. So God takes that in Christ. He, he calls it into his son the moment of your salvation. That's what happened at your salvation. God called you to Christ when you heard the gospel, your faith followed in repentance, and boom, justification, salvation. Uh, that's another unique aspect of Christianity. Uh, and Like in Islam, in order to be a true Muslim, you must take at least one pilgrimage in your life to Mecca provided you're physically fit, and have the resources to do so, financially able. Uh, this is called the Hajj. In Christ, no more Meccas. There's no more holy grounds. He ended that. Effect effectively, and he ended religion. He says, we're not doing this anymore. For the one true to start. And so Christians are now the new temple. If you go read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll talk about that. So the temple's destroyed. Uh, Christ was the temple. He then takes residency within us. This is also the glory of the gospel. As uh, Colossians 1.27 says, the glory of the gospel is Christ in you. God came to you. Now we can go to God anywhere at any time because God, of, because the God of the Bible is everywhere all the time. So our religious activity outside of the sacraments, we uh, God left us 
two sacraments. These are debated, but these, he left us pr- two primary sacraments, baptism and communion. Uh, all other than that is over now. He satisfied the law. He satisfied the demands of the law. Now because of Christ, our only custom is faith in Christ, which results in activity, fruit, good works, in deed and character. Those are the two kind of fruits. Um, as opposed to being right with God by our own religious attempts to appease him and gain his approval. Our works are nothing. Everything, every move of Jesus we see in him is accomplishing our salvation. So this uh, stop at the temple in the text, it's part of it. We're seeing something in Christ. We're seeing his development. We're seeing that his birth was miraculous, foretold, special. We get a little in between his birth and his ministry, just one little, and that's where we're at today, one little tent pole that we can look, look upon and see that Jesus is being prepared for this. And there's a lot of mystery in there between, being, between his, his humanness and his divine nature. And I don't know how to talk about all of that. I, that those things are a little too wonderful for me. Uh, in Galatians, uh, this gospel note here, uh, Galatians 3.2 says this, and Paul is livid about this. If you read Galatians, Paul comes out of the gate swinging. Um, oh, you foolish Galatians. That's pretty seeker-sensitive, right? Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly betrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this now. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's like saying, okay, God, you saved me. Now here's my help. He doesn't need your help. All of your salvation is is you needing his help and surrendering again and again. Not just one surrender and then you're okay. All right, I give my life to you. We're good. That's not, that's not what Christ is. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, your whole life gets pulled with Christ. The way you think changes, all by faith. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness? And that's how God's plan has always operated, by faith. What did Abraham do? Did he do a single thing? No, maybe he was just in the mirror shaving one day when he heard God say, go. He probably didn't shave. He probably had a pretty awesome beard. But he's mo- I don't know what he was doing. Whatever. Uh, Canaanites did it at the time. I don't know. Yeah. They were, you know, Rich. One yeah. of the things that came up as yeah. we're going through Luke is, and, and you and I have talked about this, the role of the Holy Spirit at each point along the way mm. is the initiator of something that's happening. You don't really see the Spirit here as much because I think the focus is on showcasing Jesus's mm-hmm. allegiance to the Father. But what you see throughout Luke is the role of the Spirit being the the abiding presence that is creating these different 
events and things that lead up to the book of Acts, mm -hmm. where we have the pouring out of the Spirit onto all believers, enabling us mm -hmm. to do what Paul's talking about to the church at Galatia, because they're going backwards and saying, we don't need the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that struck me in reading through Luke is how much the Spirit is an agent in 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 the process yes absolutely how our agency is actually tied to his presence in our lives and him exercising agency through us and right. i think that's a very key to what we do as a church oh absolutely is we have to because they say um the holy spirit is um is the shy person of the trinity which means that um uh when we do things that offend the spirit spirit says i'm i'm just gonna back off and then we're just kind of operating out of our own flesh yeah so it's a call for believers actually to act on their allegiance to the father in a way that our obedience mm -hmm. is purifying yeah it's not that we're trying to earn our way it just means that we're we're purifying the space so that the spirit feels safe in a otherwise hostile environment now, by safe, I mean the spirit is not having to do battle in the conflict of our own sinfulness. The spirit just retreats and, and then convicts and says, you know, you need to get that out of your life so that I can inhabit that space. That, that's sort of my takeaway on that. But I always thought about the spirit in terms of Pentecostalism, charismatic churches that really yeah. put an emphasis there. And a lot of times you think of the book of uh, First uh, Corinthians talking about mm. you know the spirit through tongues and other manifestations but did you know that pentecostals actually their 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 favorite book is luke luke acts because they're tracing the role of the spirit and i guess my takeaway is if they're spending time paying attention to the role of the spirit there we can't undermine or we can't we can't undervalue the role of the spirit there um, in what we do. And we've just got to constantly think about, am I, you know, am I a suitable vessel? Am I keeping my, my house in order so the spirit can, can, can find this a compatible place to work? Yeah. Because it's the only stuff that ever gets done in Luke is through the spirit. Yeah. If it ever gets done in our church. And the Christian life. And the yeah. Christian life yeah. is through the spirit. And that's what Paul in Galatians, you know, he's like, who's bewitched you? Yeah. That's a pretty intriguing word. Because when you're bewitched, it basically means something has you spellbound in such a way that you've lost the ability to see it. Yeah. And then he says he wishes that they would go castrate themselves. Yeah. That's well, he's trying favorite. to shock them. That's one of my favorite New Testament He's verses. shocking yeah. them. He's not actually saying go do it. Yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah. to say, <laughs> uh, I got to shake you up here yeah. because you, 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 this, this whole view of you're going to do it on your own. Is cast a spell on you, and uh, you need to slap upside the head. Yeah, uh, in order for us to be pleasing to God, uh, he needs to be in us, because when you become a Christian, you become a God-driven vehicle, um, and you receive the Spirit as a down payment of your assurance, like as Ephesians 1 says, uh, um, and a lot, there's so much we could, that's, yeah. Yeah. When that's Jesus an ice cube off the iceberg. No, sure, what, yeah. that's a little bit of a teaser, but when Jesus began his ministry, what happened? The, the symbolism yeah. of the spirit descending, saying, Descended okay, and now the works yeah. that he does are going to be done through the uh, enabling mm -hmm. of the spirit. And we see him here as special and unique. He is 
God the Son in human yes. flesh. Yes. And then the, the spirit the spirit has to be the most neglected person in in in, in our conversations in in the Godhead. We talk about God the Father and God uh, and Jesus and the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, and uh, the Spirit's role is massive. And in His job, think about the humility in God here is just to make much of Jesus in us. I don't know how to even begin to talk about all that, but yeah, yeah, the yeah. Spirit. The, none of none of yeah. And I, I guess you know my barometer is always: Do I have this? My question is. Is the spirit active in my life? Because I know I have the spirit as a down payment. Yeah. But is he is he really close? In Am my, I operating my with him? Yeah. yeah. And and the way we know, of course, the litmus test is the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit. Yeah. And and the and the litmus test is also the deeds of the the mind of the flesh. You know, yeah. where we get into that headspace where we're not thinking right. Yeah. You know, and that's how we know we're kind of tuned in. Yeah. And then we got to ask the question: What do I need to do? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this, these are the the, the, the litmus tests. Um, in Galatians 5, um, this is a good spot just to look at this now that we're talking about this. In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. All right? So by those titles, by definition, this is what's already in us. Uh, this is what God brings into us when he moves in and takes up residency, as Colossians tells us. Uh, and Christ moves in, you're saved, he gives you a new heart, he takes residency, he takes the... Th- um, uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says um, God has placed eternity in the heart of man so he takes his own God-built throne and takes his own seat in that throne us having gotten off of it and now we start to bear these things in our life. We've changed. We start to bear fruit and just by definition the fruit of the spirit just think about what it's called. That means it's supernatural. It's not in us. We're not capable of it apart from him moving in. The Spirit is necessary, and he's necessary in this story as well. The Spirit is the one who's driving Luke as he writes about Jesus. Think about that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, Luke is writing, but, this, but all Scripture is God-breathed. Luke is a pen in God's hand. So as we read the Word of God, it's the Spirit telling us through all the flavors of Luke the story of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> all right and when the feast all right we got 20 minutes and when the feast had ended and they were returning the boy jesus stayed behind in jerusalem his parents did not know it he but supposing him to be in the group they went a day's journey now a large uh, mass of people everybody was coming to jerusalem and now at the end of the fest they were dispersing going back home so there would have been large caravans type gatherings of people uh, spreading back out through the country. So there's lots of people on the road. Uh, This was normal back then. But they began to search for him among the relatives and and acquaintances. So they're they're not bad parents. This was normal. um, uh, Jesus had never given them any reason to believe he'd have, uh, that he'd pull any kind of stunt. So they never had any reason to believe he was up to any kind of mischief. So that's off the table. Either something's happened to him or something we're not thinking of has happened. Um, and my study Bible says it was completely out of character for Jesus not to obey them in every respect. Why? If he did disobey, he'd be breaking his own fifth commandment of honor your father and mother. Jesus would have been a sinful. 
And we see in verse 49 why he's not sinning against his parents here, but we'll get there in a moment. Um, And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him. They've had to have been terrified and conflicted. We lost God in the temple, uh, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. So we see, and all who heard him were amazed. Ms. Fly really wants to hear this story too. Preach the gospel to all creation, uh, to every living thing. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So he's not only paying attention, hearing them, but he's participating. And the people who would, have, who would later kill him were probably thinking this Jesus kid is going to make a fine one of us. But, as we said earlier, he didn't go that way, did he? He also, we also see here that a certain credibility to the whole person of Jesus, seeing him not only as just unique as a person or, some, or someone who's merely studied, that's probably how everybody in the temple was, was seeing him. This is a really studied kid, he's bright. No, we see from the rest of the story, excuse me, we know that he's unique thoroughly, not just well-studied. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I mean, just to be able to sit in that group, and the Pharisees were a pretty proud bunch. I mean, there's us, we're the smart ones, you don't contribute much to us, we contribute to you. That's, that's, that's probably not far, like that's probably a good definition of the, the, or a good window into the pride of a Pharisee. Joe. We know the Spirit told Mary and Joseph, yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah. But this just, it's right here for us to see. Um, yeah, Joe's uh, comments were the Spirit's active in, in bringing the astonishment that everybody's feeling in this moment. Uh, we know that's, that's a possibility. There's, I mean, Jesus was such that, what well, says, he uses the word astonished twice. That's emphasis. And his mother said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching you, searching for you in great distress. And I put in my notes here, like, what, what do you do? How do you discipline Jesus? If you think, like, they probably had to consult Jesus on how to discipline him. <laughs> Jesus. All right, what do we do here? I don't know what to do about this. Yeah. And they said to them, why were you, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? 
did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And this had to have, like Leonard said earlier, this had to strike, strike them, especially Joseph. You, you raise a child, and then it, it, uh, that, that child declares fatherly allegiance. But maybe Joseph, maybe Joseph was overjoyed that it was God. You know, I told Leonard, we were talking about this yesterday. I remember when I got my dog, my friend stayed over, and I woke up the next morning, my dog was sleeping on his lap. And I was angry. <laughs> That's my dog. So I went and got the dog and took him back to the bed. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, maybe something like that was happening, Joseph. Maybe. Inference. All right. Did you not know I must be in my father's house? All right, this is why Jesus wasn't sinning. He was being faithful to his true father. Remember we said earlier when this started, he had his, pri- his values set and his priorities set. Jesus' number one priority, even now at 12, this wasn't a later in life thing, even now at 12 years old, his number one priority is God. We spend our whole life trying to put God in his number one pri- priority, trying to. We want to. We have that desire in us. Go read Romans 7. But it's hard. Jesus was... We ha- See, we have a sin nature that keeps us from fully submitting. We can make these big declarations, do these a few days of getting on the right track and making resolutions. Jesus is thoroughly from as young as we can see, all about God. Even in our Christianity, uh, even in our faith and our walk and our sanctification, we can be all about God, but then two o'clock happens and you, you've made all these bold declarations in the morning when you were doing your Devo time, you know, and then two o'clock in the afternoon happens and you're like, man, where'd that prayer go from this morning? Or where'd, uh... and that's just why Jesus is so great. It's things like that. You see him never failing. And so when you fail, he never did. And he, in his right, and you know that as a Christian, his righteousness was given to your account. So when you fail, you just keep looking at Jesus and it's, ah, that's what it's about. Yeah, I botched it. I should feel somewhat ashamed and bad and for whatever I did to stray. But it's all about Jesus. So keep looking back to him. That's what a true Christian does. That's how a true Christian keeps going. That's the gas in our tank, the gospel. This was Jesus also giving verbal confirmation to his earthly parents through telling and reminding them they had somewhat of this knowledge at his birth, who he was and whose he was. It's Luke's intent, and the Bible's telling us that Jesus is separate, unique, faithful to both his parents, but his priority was to God. It's so much better when God is our priority. Like, it's so much better when we love God more than our spouse. It's so much better uh, for our spouse when we love God more than them, the same as it's so much better than when we love our spouse more than our children. It's so much better for our children in that way. If if mom and dad are all right, that's going to naturally bless them. Mom and dad aren't all right, we feel it too. Same with you and God. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Think about this. Outside of the apostles and Jesus, 
we have more knowledge, more info in our Bibles than anyone in the Bible. We know more right now in 2021 than Mary and Joseph did. They didn't understand this. That's all right. That didn't stop them from believing in him. Understand, not understanding shouldn't stop us from believing. It causes us to believe all the more. It was interesting. You and I were talking about that last night, where if you're a, a new believer and you get frustrated because you sin or you do something like, you know, you mentioned the frustration about at the end of the day, you're not thinking you're on the same mind as you were at the beginning of the day, mm -hmm. or you prayed and you're in that spiritual place. And then at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're, you're completely somewhere else. You can get defeated because you think, oh, you know, I just need to try harder. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing naturally that, go to. Yeah. And the thing that I think is so telling in the story, and this story and it's very helpful is and it's been helpful for me is when I when I feel like I'm deviating. The thing I do, I do um, kind of check myself with is I do ask the question, um, whose are you and whose are you? And is your decision making in alignment with who you are? Mm hmm. Who and, am I and whose am I? Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, just to kind of put a plug in for our mission statement, we talked about this at the elders retreat where we talked about, you know, we want to be devoted to Christ. And uh, I remember you chiming in and saying, um, and, and we kind of had this conversation, um, but if we're devoted to Christ just kind of on our own motivation, yeah, it doesn't go as far without knowing what's prior to that and that is that we are loved by God yeah and there's something special about knowing that he has incorporated us into his family that he is with us mm -hmm. that he loves us that he forgives us that he he's patient with us yeah otherwise that, we'd be finding our peace our satisfaction in ourselves and not him yeah and so when you remember all that it's easier to be obedient. It's yeah. easier to be, yeah. to have allegiance. And a lot of us need to accomplish, accomplish, accomplish so that we feel satisfied in ourselves. Uh, but the gospel is, no, Jesus did everything for you. Breathe. Je it's Jesus' perfect and finished works make it so we don't have to have some huge list to present to God in the end. Did I do, did I do enough? It's the amount thing that everybody does. Did I do enough? Did I have enough faith? Did I do enough good works? Was I nice enough to this person? Yeah, we should try to, we should strive for that. But we should strive all the more to believe it and see it in Christ and seek and find it in him. That is what makes us operate freely, fully, more than we ever could. There's humility in that. There's pride in trying to build your resume before God to show to him in the end. You're not looking at, okay. We got five minutes to get through. <laughs> and they did not understand saying, spoken to them. And they went down, and he went down with them. Just, we know more than a lot of people in the Bible did before I move on. Abraham, build. No, uh, um, I'm sorry, Noah, build it. Abraham, go. That's all they had to go on. We have a lot more, so what's our problem? Well, let's, let's, let's just stop for a minute yeah. there and unpack that a little bit, Rich. Okay, so Abraham didn't have all that knowledge, mm -hmm. but he did know clearly that he was called. Yeah, God. Noah knew that he was called. Yeah, within that go, there was an imposition that. Yeah, 
And, you know, to be honest with you, in, in my job, mm -hmm. I have to remind myself that I'm called. Because sometimes I, you know, I'll, I'll struggle with things. Yeah. And if God calls you, he will give you what you need to do what you're called to do. Yes. In and Romans 8, there's that calling. It's part of the golden chain of salvation for new predestined called. It's part of every Christian, that calling. Yeah, yeah. But to me, if you're a believer and you're just saying, I believe and I'm saved and that's all that matters. What we have to underscore pastorally for our people is, yeah, but now you're called. Mm -hmm. You're called to be not only part of the kingdom, but you're called to actually be a representative of the kingdom, however God enables you mm -hmm. to do that. And I think it's, it elevates the role that we have to a healthier place. I mean, let's just be honest. Would we be here right now, you and I, if we weren't called? No. No. You can see how profoundly it makes a difference. I mean, if, if it weren't for God, we'd be, I don't know what other people do on Sunday mornings, but we'd be doing that. Would you be teaching right now if you weren't called? I wouldn't care at all about this. Yes. I came here for four years before I even cared about any of this. Yes. Yeah. All right. And he went down with them and came to... And came to Nazareth, so he, 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 he came the second trip home, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. That's the second mention of this. Uh, first mention of her, Mary, treasuring all this, these things in her heart is in Luke 2.19. Uh, so we don't see Mary asking a lot of questions. She just treasured. I think that's significant because uh, she knew what she heard when she was young from the angel. She knew her position in God's will. She was a favored woman, he said. We would, disagree, we would argue with the Catholics on what that means, but uh, she knew that she was in God's will and didn't need more. Her heart was satisfied. She, she, not that she wasn't curious, not that she didn't want to know more, but she didn't need more, more, more. This contentment that's contentment, and this contentment seems to be an intentional, an intentional discipline that she employs in herself. She chooses just to be satisfied in what she heard. I think we'd be a lot more happy if, if our Bible reading went that way as well. Actually, yeah. one, one, of the, one of the commentaries I looked at had a chart that charted, um, because you know, early on, the angel appeared to, to uh, Zachariah and Mary. Two very different people. Yes. And the way Luke writes it, there are several categories of interaction that are the same. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Mary had the better responses in each of them. But who's the priest? Yeah. And who's just, you know, the, the young woman who's from the working class? Right. Yeah. It's a bold statement. God always uses. That's yeah. so God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he didn't shut Mary's mouth for like he did Zechariah. Mary didn't question like Zechariah did. Yeah, there's something in there. All right. Uh, in the side note here, God uses our children to sanctify us. I probably don't need to talk about that too much. I think if we have kids, we know. <laughs> I would like to. Maybe, maybe a different day. Um, no, what's funny for us is <laughs> we're watching you go through it because we've already been there. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> they've sanctified me a lot. They've showed me how lawless and lawful I am. They've showed me how much law is in me and how much gospel needs to be. Uh, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with man. And we'll close it out here. It lets us know his coming of age years, Jesus' coming of age years, weren't squandered in stuff that we squander our coming of age years in. He wasn't vandalizing property, partying, fast cars, name brands, whatever. Um, he wasn't concerned about the letters on the back of his jacket. He wasn't none of that. Um, in other words, and this is a quote here, I heard a pastor say this one time, he skipped adolescence. Adolescence is a new invention that's come out. So he went straight from being a boy to a man. So young men and 40-year-old, 14-year-olds should take note of this. Um, can, can I just comment real quickly? Yeah. The thing I discovered in, in my reading was <clears throat> one of the reasons why we have, we have to have adolescence, and mm -hmm. it's a new thing, is we've lost initiation rights mm. where a boy has a defining experience like a bar mitzvah or whatever that most cultures had prior to modern culture that said this is the day or this is the period of time I became a man mm -hmm. and we have adolescence because we don't have that in our culture right and so we believe the kids to figure out on their own mm -hmm. when it is that they're how and when they're supposed to become an adult and I think that's Psychologists say that's part of the reason why we have so many problems with adolescence because they're they don't get any guidance Yeah Yeah, and that's why Jesus is so crucial to be in their fibers as you're bringing them up. So Jesus is the most manly man who ever existed Real men follow God um, Before I met Jesus I was just a boy who could shave and it took him to do more than grow me up. He is, it's a new creation that happened. All right, so he grew with favor with God and man. First qualification to be an elder is to be above reproach If whenever you run into the elder text in First, Second Timothy, and Titus. Um, it's, it's, yeah, an elder must be above reproach. That's the first thing it lists. It lists. Um, So no one can bring a charge against you because you've not given them a chance because you live an integral life. No one, no other elder, this is just my spin on this, no other elder truly has the same resume. Mine's not as clean as Jesus. That's why I need Jesus. He's our true elder. He's our high priest above reproach. And we'll end with Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. We already read Hebrews 4 earlier, that he tested and tried just like us, yes, yet without sin. The book of Hebrews is this uh, all about Jesus. You sat with the writer of Hebrews at dinner. Um, all he'd talk about was Jesus, I'd imagine. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented from death by continuing in office. They died. They couldn't stay in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. The Bible says he rose never to die again. He's our true high priest. He's our good and better elder. He's better for you than any of your elders could ever be for you.
we have to sleep. He doesn't. We fail. We let you down. He doesn't. So it's our job to show you him. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Bible in the Old Testament gives us bad priests, it gives us bad judges, it gives us bad kings, it gives us bad leaders. Jesus is the summation and the perfect thing that all of them never were and should have been. He's everything we never were and should have been. He's that on our behalf. So, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for coming in, being at work in the mess, for drawing us near to you for living a life and allowing us to look in your life in this, your word, for living in a time where we get to have Bibles like many in the people in the world don't get to have or have to read in secret. Thank you for your word. Thank you that by your word you sanctify us because if we could just look at you and see you in the, in the text everywhere we go. Just help us to see you. Help us just to keep seeing you as we go through Luke. Regardless if we understand you. Regardless if we who are portraying you um, to your beloved church here uh, should, should miss something. You're there. The glory of, it's such a glorious thing. We never stop learning about Jesus. But none of that matters unless we understand that loved us, died for us, took our place. Help us to understand what's essential, as Leonard was uh, talking about earlier, the necessary things. Um, So that when we look and you become enlarged in our understanding and in our hearts, we would just be satisfied and treasure all these things in our heart. And, and go and love and serve. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Thank you. Amen. Hey, Rich. Um, before, before Any questions? Everybody. And I'm going to look online I, I as we... I ask a favor of everybody. I just got a text from um, Slade Ryder. He has a friend uh, whose name is Rich Stouffer. Uh His parents own Stouffer's Market on Rochester Road. I'm not sure who that is. But uh, this fellow, Rich, uh, was admitted to the hospital in Dover, he has COVID, 48% oxygen, yeah. and um, he's been deteriorating, and so he's asked for prayers. Yeah. Uh, Slade Ryder has for his friend, Rich. Okay, Slade Ryder for his friend, Rich. And yes. we also have another Rich, Richard uh, Pliable, who uh, the the um, Cutler family is going to see right now. We need to lift him up as well. All right. So, Father, we come to you for these two requests. Uh, pray that Slade's friend, Rich, um, Lord, that you would meet him in the place that he's at now. I don't know about his heart in relation to you, but I pray knowing that you're the God who can make a way in any area. That dead ends, you make a way. So regardless of anything that we might feel um, I pray that you would grant a light and hope in this situation in Rich's life and Rich's heart. And I do pray for his health as well. But I pray for 
a new heart if that's not the case. And I pray for rescuing of his, uh, his health and his well-being as it stands now, that you would hear the prayers of your people, that you would help us to be concerned in our prayer for him, that we might pray with love. And may you bless him. May this not be a ventilator doesn't give us a lot of hope these days. So we come to you and ask you for what only you can do and that you would provide him the help that any other administering can't. We ask you this, that you would glorify your name even this very day and that his family would be encouraged that either way you're still good. Glorify your name in this as well. And we pray for the Cutler family and Kathy McKinley as they go and see uh, Richard and pray that you would work in this situation with every bit of uh, grace that we know that you are able to give. Bless their children as they travel along with and try to understand what's going on. And this is not a normal day for them, I understand. And I pray that they, uh, his husband, or that uh, uh, his wife and her husband, they would get to see each other again. I know this was a matter uh, because the hospital is preventing this due to reasons of the current time. So we pray they would be able to see each other again and that you would grant light on the end of this day for them. And we lift these things up to you, knowing that you're the God who is able and God who's good. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I don't know if I'm still live online, but thank you. <laughs> we ran a little over today.